All right, not all at once. Matthew, do you want the mic? I guess there's nobody in the vehicle, right? No, well, is there? Sure, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, we'll see. Wow, that's really vague. Um, maybe I'm not understanding your question. So, so one of them was the definition of the day of the Lord. Okay, yeah. Um, if I understand it, you used a number of passages to support my definition of the day of the Lord and what... Uh, okay, let me rephrase it. Oh, what have I talked about so far? Okay. Okay. What have we talked about so far? I mean, we started off in, uh, in 2 Peter. Yeah. And the question that arises out of this chapter is... Um, why is the second coming of Christ delayed? I think that's essentially what uh, Peter is discussing here. And because people were saying, it's been so long. Um, And then he reminds them of uh, a day of the Lord in the past, that um, came suddenly on the world and everyone perished. And the second day of the Lord, or when I say second, universal day of the Lord is yet to come. And that is uh, in this passage. And that launched us into the Old Testament. The whole, because the day of the Lord in verse 10 But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And then it goes on. So that concept of the day of the Lord was, uh, is from the Old Testament. Old Testament prophets. And we talked about, um, Principles, I guess you could say, about what that day of the Lord looked like. And, of course, I don't have my book with me. Do you mind if I stand at the pulpit? Then it's going to be... That was a joke. Yes, yes. Um, You got into Matthew because that's what everyone just lumps them all together. Uh, And you were trying to distinguish between them? No, I believe that Matthew 24 was the, um, the final day of the Lord recorded in the New Testament. 
Uh, no. Okay, well, uh, okay, where was it? Okay. <clears throat> so just to recap, the day of the Lord was a, a day which wouldn't necessarily last a day. Uh, it could last many days, but it was a day when uh, God would uh, destroy the wicked and sometimes he saved the righteous in the same day. Um, but that wasn't always the case. Um, sometimes it was just the destruction of a particular nation or city. Um, so the day is, um, is announced, but the, t- the, the exact time frame is not revealed, usually in the Old Testament. Um, and the nature of the judgment uh, could be entirely supernatural, of which by way of review, um, the flood was entirely supernatural um, in the sense that there had never been a worldwide flood before and there hasn't been one since. Uh, and there is coming another supernatural, universal event and it's going to come by way of... Who said that? Fire. Yeah, and that that event is yet future. But we also believe um, from other passages that that will be a day when there's universal judgment, but the righteous will be taken out. And that goes with every other day of the Lord uh, in the scriptures, with the exception of a few here and there. Um. Most days of the Lord, with the exception of two, were were local in nature. That is a specific or a certain geographical location. And it was uh, relatively small in comparison to the globe. Um, And the one we were looking at in Matthew 24 was one of those local days of the Lord where it was only in Judea, um, the land of Israel. And outside of that, um, it wasn't the day of the Lord, but it was using also a foreign army to exact vengeance on another people, whether that was Babylon or whether that was Egypt or whether that was the Jews. And that had happened at least um, two or three times before uh, where God had come in judgment on the nation. Um, Once with a locust plague, uh, again the second time with uh, the Assyrians coming in and taking away the northern ten tribes, 
and then the um, Nebuchadnezzar coming and destroying Judah and Benjamin uh, was a local event. And then several hundred years later in the destruction of Jerusalem. Um, so that basically covers and that brought us, we looked at all of the days of the Lord in the Old Testament and then we, uh, I skipped over Zechariah because that was a piece of the puzzle that um, arguably you could spend, yeah, any one of these books you could spend days or weeks in and I think the almost forgotten where the, the rabbit went and we were we're lost in the forest. You know, the rabbit's gone up and, you know, we're hunting and we can't even find our way back. And that's kind of what I feel like it is now. Um, so that's where we have come. And we're in Matthew 24, halfway through. And that was the day of the Lord that the Lord Jesus himself had <clears throat> prophesied and that Daniel spoke of in Daniel chapter 9. So that's where we are presently. And then the second question was, Matthew? Well, the second question was from Matthew 24. But maybe you don't want to answer it today. Okay. It's verse 29 to 35. Okay, so we'll go to Matthew 24. Thirty-four. I, I think what you said. Oh, okay. Yeah. What, what are verses thirty and thirty-one all about, and how do they square with verse thirty-four? Okay. Well, we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves, but um, what uh, is happening in verse? Uh, not the not the parable. Thirty and thirty-one. And how does that square with verse thirty-four? Like, how does that make sense? Okay. We're getting ahead of ourselves, but we'll go for it. Um, <clears throat> we'll just read it. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. <clears throat> now learn a parable of the fig tree when, the, when his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves. You know that summer is nigh. So likewise, when you see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Okay, um, because of these verses, specifically verse 30, uh, most people that would call themselves evangelical Christians and would believe the, the Bible and everything else, faithful people, believe that this is not talking about the destruction of Jerusalem because it uh, basically ends with... Christ visibly coming to the earth, and they say for that reason, um, it is not talking about 
the destruction of Jerusalem. And that would be, I would say, yeah, a very common understanding. Um, <clears throat> but what I have uh, proposed, <clears throat> and in verse 29, uh, the tribulation and the sun being darkened and the moon shall not give her light and stars shall fall from heaven, etc. And the powers of the heaven, heavens shall be shaken. <clears throat> so the, that is, most people that take this as the second coming would say that those are literal astronomical events. We're looking for the sun being darkened and then if you... You go into Revelation for a third of the day and all of these things. Um, but we have looked at days of the Lord in the past and discovered that the same language that is described here is also the language of days of the Lord in the past. And who, what are the, what's a really good passage where that's described? Yep, that is something different. Which, uh, probably my go-to passage there would be uh, Isaiah chapter 13. So we'll look at that because this, um, yeah, really play, plays into actually Matthew's question, <clears throat> which is verse 30. Uh, then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And when most people read that, they're, good, they're looking or they're thinking in their mind, something's going to happen in the sky, right? That's what most people are thinking. They're thinking that, I don't know, a cross is going to appear, there's going to be a meteor, you know, blazing, there's going to be, but nothing's really specific. And that's what people are thinking is going to happen. But it says, then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. So it doesn't say, even though, because I heard one preacher say, the sign of the Son of Man in heaven is the Son of Man in heaven. So I didn't get that. But anyway, that's what was said. Uh, because, and you could tell that the man is grappling with the whole passage. He's thinking, okay, this is kind of doesn't make sense, but that's why he said the sign of the Son of Man is the Son of Man. I didn't really think that was a good answer. So when we read this passage in the Old Testament, we're going to specifically think, what is that whole thing about heaven? Because most people take that as it's going to happen up in the sky. Okay, so we've read it before, but I think it just bears repeating. <clears throat> uh, Matthew, or not, sorry, Isaiah 13. Isaiah 13. <clears throat> Again, what day of the Lord is this speaking of? The answer is right there in the passage in the first verse. Uh, 
Isaiah 13. Isaiah 13. Yeah, well, you're allowed to cheat. We need all the help we can get. Yeah. The Assyrian Empire or the Babylonian Empire? Okay, well. Chapter 13, verse 1. Yeah. The Burden of Babylon. Is that what's in your Bible? The Burden of Babylon? The first verse. Yeah, okay. So this is a day of the Lord that's prophesied on Babylon. That's the, the real physical Babylon, the same Babylon that came and destroyed um, Israel. <clears throat> okay, then we uh, reread down. We'll start reading like in verse 6. Howl <clears throat> um, ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. Therefore all hands shall be faint, and every man's heart shall melt. Now think of the passage that we're dealing with in Matthew. We always have to be thinking that the... The men's hearts will faint with fear of what's coming upon the earth, right? Remember the language is very important to... uh, It's the same language in Matthew 24 and in the prophets. Not just this prophet, but um, other prophets. And they shall be... uh, and they shall be afraid, pangs and sorrows shall take hold of them. And they shall be in pain as a woman that travaileth. They shall be amazed one another. In Matthew's gospel, exactly the same language is used. A woman in sorrows, um, birth pangs, I think, actually is one translation. It does not say that in the King James, but this is the beginning of sorrows, right? So here's the same exact language about the day of the Lord then. Um, Verse 9. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners out of it. For the stars of heaven and the constellations shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in his going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. So the, he talks about the, um, God's wrath being poured out on Babylon, and then he says the stars of heaven are going to fall. And I think we, I can't remember if we even covered that the last time, but the stars of heaven, if you go back to Daniel, or go forward to Daniel, pardon me, it's one of the better uh, illustrations of that. Daniel uh, chapter 8. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 8. This is talking about uh, Antiochus, who was a Greek... Um, a Greek... Uh, ruler, and it tells you what he did. <clears throat> In verse 10, Daniel eight ten, and it, that is the horn, waxed great even to the hosts of heaven, and it cast down some of the hosts, 
and of the stars to the ground and stamped upon him upon them so you see this man comes up in uh, in the world and he casts other stars to the ground and what are those stars other rulers other kingdoms and as a rule of thumb in the prophets when it talks about the stars falling it's not talking about as one man said the literal stars falling out of the sky or appearing to fall out of the sky and sometimes it says it hits the earth the big star which is wormwood and all of these things it's not talking about that at all (laughs) it's talking about nations that are exalted to heaven not literally but this is how it describes these things men's hearts lifted up with pride nebuchadnezzar said that uh, he'd been lifted up to heaven and he was literally thinking that way he's the greatest and that's what it means and then this man comes around and he casts down other stars and they as it were fall down and then when they fall down guess what happens they don't give forth their light and that's really the imagery that's intended and it's throughout the prophets this is not sort of a one-off here because it says he's going to lay the land desolate and destroy the sinners out of it for the stars of heaven and the constellations shall not give forth her light the sun shall be darkened And it's going down, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. I don't think we covered, although Matthew's question is going to take up a whole time, but uh, the sun, moon, and stars can, can refer to the literal sun, moon, and stars, can refer to uh, the nation of Israel in, um, what's the vision there? In Joseph's vision, the sun and the moon and the stars were Jacob and Rachel, and the children of Israel, his brothers. That was the sun, moon, and the stars. And they can represent, as we've seen here, other nations that are exalted to uh, to heaven. If you turn back to Daniel there, Daniel chapter 4. Daniel 4. Uh, Daniel 4.11, we'll start reading in verse 10. Thus were the visions of of my head in my bed. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and the height thereof was great, and the tree grew, and it was strong, and the height thereof reached unto heaven, and the sight thereof until the end of all the earth. Now, notice the language. A tree that grows, like it, it's not literally, you know, a tree that you could see from China. <laughs> that it goes up, you know, 40,000 feet. But it's the language, it's exalted. Babylon was the head of gold in Daniel's statue. But notice the language, it reaches to heaven. In verse 22, 
It is thou, O king, thou art grown and become strong, for thy greatness is grown and reaches up to heaven in thy dominion to the ends of the earth. Now, he wasn't over here in North America. He wasn't in Australia. He wasn't in China and Japan. But he ruled what is then the context of the Bible. I don't know how far his kingdom is. certainly came over as far as Egypt into the Middle East and, and the land of, uh, of Judea and everything. But the, the language is that he's exalted to heaven, and then what happens in Isaiah 13? He is cast down, and then the star and the constellations shall not shed forth her light. He was exalted to heaven, but he was cast down. And that language is used all over the Old Testament and all over the New Testament of peoples and nations. Um, I think the Lord said of, Woe unto you, Chorazin and Bethsaida, for you're exalted unto heaven. No, you'll be cast down to hell. And so that is very common, that language. And so when it talks about, in Isaiah, the sky rolling up like a scroll, I mean, yeah, I believe, like, boy, that is going to be something. Like, the sky is literally going to just, you know, and I pictured that, but it's got nothing to do with that. It's... um, Yeah, it's got nothing to do with that. In Isaiah 34. But notice the language again is very, very similar. It's God's indignation against all nations, specifically Idumea. And he talks about, again, in verse 2, For the indignation of the Lord is upon all nations and his fury upon all their armies, and he hath utterly destroyed them, he hath delivered them to the slaughter. Their slain also shall be cast out, and their stink shall come up out of their carcasses, and the mountains shall be melted with their blood. And it just keeps flowing, and all the host of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll, and all their hosts shall fall down as a leaf falleth off from a vine and as a falling fig from a tree. But notice the next verse, verse 5, 4, and he's explaining what he has just said in verse 4 about the the sky rolling up like a scroll, all the nations, uh, specifically here, Idumea, and he describes that. He said, for my sword shall be bathed in, where? Heaven. And he's, he's literally... Like he's going down, he's cutting all these nations down, not from the earth, but from heaven. Because they're exalted where? They're exalted up to heaven. Remember the Tower of Babel. They wanted to they wanted a name for themselves and they wanted to be exalted into heaven. And God says, Nope, you're not gonna do that. I'm gonna bring you down. Because it's just the language of the prophets. And these nations, um, that's why I could never, why would it say that? The sword is bathed in heaven, behold, it shall come down upon Idumea and upon the people of my curse to judgment. So that, all that language about heaven 
in the Old Testament and in the New is not talking about literal sky, but um, speaking of nations, not always, depending on the context, but certainly in the passage we're dealing with over there in Matthew, and we could go to many others in the Old Testament, which will refrain and go back to Matthew with that in our minds. Sure. Yeah. Oh, you mean the sun, moon, and stars? Right, so yeah. you mentioned Jacob. Mm-hmm. Right? So Joseph's dream. The sun and moon, the leadership, mm-hmm. the stars, uh, the population. And so that gets transferred to the nation of Israel. Sun and moon is the religious clergy, the religious leadership mm-hmm. of the nation, and the stars being the, the people, right? So it's, it, it has a particular reference to the religious leadership cast down the mm-hmm. stars. Yeah. Um, I said, "Ye are gods, but ye shall die like men. Mm-hmm. Thou shalt not revile the gods." Right? So there's that. So you've established that that it's the um, the nation of Israel with the, from a religious point of view. Mm-hmm. Now you've established that it's the nations and particularly the the leadership of those nations, right? Being the, the glory of them, sure, yeah. as well as the population. Um, did you just do those two? Uh, so you've got the leadership of the nation, so that's two. Mm-hmm. It also addresses the heathen gods, right? The host of heaven were objects of idolatry, mm-hmm. which were literally the sun, the moon, the stars. So they, the idols and the gods of the nations are also represented by the sun and the moon and the stars. Yep. Right? So it would, and it, sometimes it could be all three, sometimes it's one or the other. Okay. But it's not referring to Alpha Centauri, the North Star, the Big Dipper, yep. <laughs> all landing on the Earth, each of them being much bigger than our sun, let alone the Earth itself, and they would have been, the Earth would be incinerated before they even get here. Mm-hmm. It's a reference to those. To the, but it would include yeah. the heathen gods, am I correct? Yes, yeah, definitely. Um, because that's what people would worship, right? They Behind those uh, things were gods, and they would worship them. I think when the Lord uh, darkened Egypt, it was a uh, a blow against their the sun god, right? And so He would have brought them down in that way. Um, I did actually find a yeah found where I wrote that down, but anyway, we've we've covered it. Um, So with that in our minds, we're going back to Matthew. Um, And Matthew's question. Verse 30. Verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun shall be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. So that's not as... Some well-meaning brethren would see it as uh, literal astronomical bodies falling out of heaven. Um, and the, the, the kind of the sun being literally obscured, but rather the falling of nations and specifically uh, the falling of, of what? 
it was just mentioned. Israel, Israel yeah. Literally, in Joel's prophecy, about around this time, it says, The sun shall be darkened and the moon shall be turned to blood before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Something like that. Um, and that literally happened in the sense that Israel was darkened. And it has been since. The, uh, Israel was the glory of the nations. Jerusalem was chief city, everything, and that just all came tumbling down. And out of that came the law shall go forth from Zion, and the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament came to pass in um, the destruction of Israel, but the birth of the church. So let's look at verse 30. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Now, what was the question the disciples asked at the beginning? Remember, they asked two questions. Yep, and? Yep, and what did Luke ask? Uh, Yep, okay. Um, Turn over to Luke. Because this is, yeah, we're, this is important. Luke 21. When, what shall be the signs of the destruction of the temple? And Matthew adds, of your coming. So Luke, uh, what shall be the sign? When, <clears throat> what shall be... I got to just read the verse. Master, but when shall these things be? That was, when shall all these stones be thrown down? Destruction of the temple. And what shall be the sign? uh, And what sign will there be when these things shall come to pass? So we've talked about those things that earthquakes and all that stuff. But those were just, if I could say, preliminary signs. And the sign of the Son of Man in heaven is the fulfillment of his prophecies. Exactly. The sign that the Son of Man has moved in heaven to destroy Israel. And everyone could see it. Right? This is the sign. You see the abomination of desolations coming and then the sign is Jerusalem and the people of Israel. And it's never recovered. We were talking in a storm. They've never been successful in ever rebuilding the temple. And it was only until recent years, in the last uh, 75 years, that Israel became a nation again. Um, Mm-hmm. Right? Lion, the eagle, and then the bear, the three ribs, and then the leopard, and then the fourth beast, dreadful, and so on, um, and then the little horn, and so on. And then verse 9, I beheld till the throne were cast down the ancient of days. So the context. 
church that's the kingdom of God on yeah. earth now uh, and it's gathering out of every kindred tribe nation people and tongue um, and uh, Abe was it I think read that passage this morning about David was it Abe or a storm about David the kingdom to come storm I the son of David mm -hmm. being Messiah his kingdom's an everlasting kingdom it's that kingdom of Christ which began and it was revealed as established with the casting down of the old covenant. That which waxes old and decayed is ready to banish away the temple with all its sacrificial system. And now it's revealed that Jesus is Lord and that his kingdom, his priesthood, it's all established now. That's, mm -hmm. am, I, am I on top point with yep. that? Yep, it's not, it's started it's not finished. Right, yeah. <laughs> and that would take us back into Second Peter. So the sign that Jesus was exalted, that he had received the kingdom that has begun and is spreading the earth, was that his denunciation of the religious clergy and the temple being destroyed was fulfilled. And that was, that was the proof that he is the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And that all of his parables about coming with armies and destroying that nation, right? The yep. husbandmen, all of that. The vineyard. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He shall bring those wretches to a wretched end. Yeah, okay. Um, <clears throat> so in verse 30, um, then there's a phrase there, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. This one's been difficult for me. <clears throat> Looked up every reference of tribes in the Bible. I think there's 110 or 112 or 113. It's around there. And only twice does it not refer to Israel. Um, once to Egypt and then once in this passage <laughs> where it isn't specific because I thought... He could have easily said, and all the tribes of Israel shall mourn. That would have been a no-brainer, right? It would have been just like, yep, this is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. So why does it say that? I don't know. <laughs> and I'm still pondering it, and I got time. 
I got time to, because <laughs> um, I just wasn't uh, satisfied. Why it says the tribes of the earth. And people would say that interpret this as the world would say, see, except, yeah, this would be the only instance, except for one other time when it's referring to another nation other than the nation of Israel. Um, and, you know, you read different commentators and some men will say, yeah, this is the tribes of Israel mourning when they see the destruction of Jerusalem. That makes complete sense <laughs> why they would do that. Um, they see the sign of the Son of Man in heaven and then the tribes of the earth mourn. That is the destruction of Jerusalem. <clears throat> but where people... Uh, yeah, they get caught, really, and they say, well, they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. That has to be the second coming and um, his, uh, yeah, that, that's the second coming. And that's why they say, well, that's why you interpret the passage backwards, and that's why it's all not talking about 70 AD. <laughs> um, I don't know what it is talking about if it isn't talking about 70 AD. Because the, as we've gone through, the references and everything have got to do with Jews only. And it's local in its application, not universal. So that would tell me it's not talking about a universal coming. And what happens when Christ comes We're going back into Second Peter. What happens? The earth is destroyed. The earth is destroyed. There seems to be, as we keep reading there in Matthew, <clears throat> so after he comes in verse 30, and he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds of the earth. Now, I'm sure, thinking of what people would say, this is um, the rapture. But the problem is the rapture's already happened in most people's minds. And that's why some people think, well, the rapture has to happen at the end of the tribulation. <laughs> so people are just back and forth. Um, and there are many people who think these are literal angels. And, uh, but Christ comes in judgment, which he has in all the other days of the Lord in the Old Testament... Sometimes speaking as if it's himself. You read Joel and that's how it sounds. I'll shout before my army. This is my army and all of that language. So the son of man comes in power and great glory. And then his angels go throughout the whole earth. Spreading the gospel of the kingdom. Which he said that Christ's kingdom comes. And it's throughout Daniel as well. And it's time for the saints to take the kingdom. And they do. And then they go out with the sound of a trumpet. They don't go out with swords and with spears and everything else. But they go out with uh, a triumphant gospel. And it goes, Christianity then spread throughout uh, the world. And I think uh, if Thomas made it to India, India reportedly, one man... Uh, Paul evangelized from Spain 
to Arabia, one man. How many? You got 12 apostles. Uh, Thomas made it to India, and I haven't read what happened to the others. Uh, but one of the signs of an apostle was tremendous fruitfulness. Everywhere they went, just think of one man, Paul, everywhere he went, a church was born. He went and preached the gospel in that city. Uh, tremendous fruitfulness. Sometimes there would either be a riot or there was a church born. Sometimes the two <laughs> coming at the same time. But that is verse 31. So they go out to gather the elect from the four winds. And that's just a way of describing the earth. Not uh, like it's a, a square and you got, you know, these different corners. Um, go ahead, Martin. I was going to say that phrase, from one end of heaven to the other, which some think is a rapture. Yeah. Would you read Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 8 and 9? Nehemiah. Well, I got my finger in so many places yeah. now. It's like... Uh, I wish I was in Sunday school as a kid, then I would know uh, what all these books are. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Remember, I beseech thee the word that was that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I'll scatter you abroad among the nations. But if you turn to me and keep my commandments and do them, though, though there were of you cast out into the uttermost part of heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place where I've chosen to set my name there. Just wanted to underscore that it's an established biblical phrase that means the earth. Yeah. It's not speaking of a rapture, it just means yeah. the uttermost regions with Jerusalem as a starting point, as far from Jerusalem on earth as you can get, that's where the apostles were traveling, the messengers, the angels of God, mm -hmm. with the word. Yeah, yeah and that's why uh, when it says uh, from, the f from one end of heaven to the other, yeah, often heaven in the scripture, as Martin's pointed out, means the earth. Uh, and But the language is... Again, as we saw, my sword is bathed in heaven. God's going to bring down the nations. And uh, so it helps to understand the, the language of the prophets. And if you don't, you can kind of get lost, as many people do. But remember our whole, how we all started. Many good brethren... Uh, when the disciples had his first coming wrong, he didn't like <laughs> laugh at them and say, you guys are just... He didn't. He just, he just lovingly said, no, it's not going to happen that way. And I'm sure it will be for... Um, yeah, when we have something wrong, that the Lord is going to either show us, and if we can... Yeah, we, they still have it wrong, then... It's really, it doesn't mean that it doesn't matter, but, uh, yeah, the Lord is so gracious. 
uh, with us. <clears throat> and uh, we're getting to Matthew's second part of Matthew's question. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. Uh, when, you, when his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that the summer is nigh. So when you see all these things starting to happen, uh, then you know that uh, the end is nigh. <clears throat> so likewise, when you shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Know what is near. The answer to their question, which was, when shall these things be? Um, I think it, Luke says, the kingdom of God is yeah. near. Yeah. And the kingdom of God is Christ's kingdom. Um, if we go look over there in Luke's gospel. Other words, in that phrase, the kingdom of God come nigh, it just doesn't mean that people had received it. Um, it's in the apostles, they went out healing, and then the people that didn't receive him, it's to shake off the dust of the feet, but know for sure that the kingdom of God has come nigh you. The power of the age to come had literally, if I could say, touched them. And here it is, uh, if I can find it. <clears throat> Luke 21. Yeah, verse 28. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. Um, and then he goes on to the parable of the, the fig tree and everything else. So likewise, when you see these in verse 31... When you see these things come to pass, that's already Christ coming in power and glory. <clears throat> uh, know that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. And then it says, this generation shall not pass away till all these things be fulfilled. So why I do not believe that this is the second coming of Christ is because things seem to continue afterwards. <laughs> uh, angels go out, people, men, uh, preaching the gospel. Um, and this, again, <clears throat> he tells them, take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and the cares of this life, and so that day come upon you unawares. <clears throat> but there's different things that happen in the passage that would lend people the face of the whole earth and all of those statements in Luke. They would People would think that that's got to be the second coming. But what happens at the, se the second coming? As we know from Second Peter, The heavens and the earth will be burned up and the elements melt with fervent heat. Now, some would say that's the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, remember, in 2 Peter, it's apocalyptic language, but it's not, um, it's not this type of visionary language, if I could say that, from the prophets. It's very plain language, and it's... Um, 
the destruction of the present heavens, and then we look for a new heavens and a new earth. And it would square with 2 Thessalonians, or 1 Thessalonians, where the Lord shall descend from heaven with his angels in flaming fire, dealing out vengeance. Um, So that's what I say. This generation is the generation that was alive, that spoke, that Christ spoke to, i.e., first his disciples, and then those that were still alive in that day that would see the uh, armies surrounding Jerusalem and then the destruction of Jerusalem. Because I'm sure that they would have thought, God's going to deliver the city. He has before, and he will now. And many false prophets arise, and they probably said that. Uh, But it didn't happen that way, because Christ had prophesied that the city would fall, and it did. Remember, it says, "These these be the days of vengeance, where all things that are written. It says, all things that are written may be fulfilled. In Daniel's prophecy, the destruction of um, the people and the holy city happened in 70 AD. Is that, uh, that's how I would see the end of Matthew and over in Luke and in Mark. The um, The coming there is Christ's coming in judgment, not his second coming. And I believe his second coming will be, the church will be, can I use the word rapture? Maybe not to avoid confusion, I don't. Um, It's not a biblical word, but we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed at the last trump in the twinkling of an eye. Um, And in... Second or First Thessalonians, which Martin read this morning, is the same. I believe is the same event. Christ comes in judgment on the world. Remember, universal day of the Lord, but consistent with every day of the Lord or most days of the Lord. Afterward, watch, saying every is he comes to destroy the wicked and to save the righteous. And he did that even in the destruction of Jerusalem. Remember, that was given. In uh, about whoso readeth, let him understand. Get out of there because you don't have much time. But at the second coming of Christ, he's going to come like a thief in the night. And the similarities in the two comings are striking, but they're not the same. I.e., he talks about this coming to destroy Israel as being a, like a thief in the night. Like he's unannounced. Like uh, lightning. Because even though you see lightning in the sky, you don't know where the next bolt is going to appear. It's just here or there. It's just... It's not going to be like the false messiahs that were out in the desert over here and this guy was in a room there. It's going to be like a flash. It's going to be sudden and uh, quick. Perhaps I am answering a question that you didn't even ask. Yeah. I don't know if that adequately deals with the... That was perhaps a longer answer than you would have wanted, but... (laughs) 
Anybody else have a question? Say again, I can't, can't hear you. In Matthew 24, <clears throat> yeah, that would be the same, the same coming. And uh, again, back in uh, verse 40, uh, then two shall be in the field, one shall be taken, and the other left. Now in present day... Uh, pre-tribulation rapture that would be the rapture one's taken and the other's left or one goes into the kingdom the millennial kingdom and the other one's left for judgment I've heard that one too that's how um, I don't believe that but that's how some would take this then two shall be in the field one shall be taken and the other left two women shall be grinding at the mill one shall be taken and the other left watch therefore for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. <clears throat> Remember when he said, when you see this, run. <laughs> it's what he told the, his people. When you see the abomination that causes desolation. And Luke describes that as the Roman armies. Remember, they didn't fall out of the sky. They had to walk there. And there was... Thousands and thousands and thousands of them. So it would have taken a little while for them to assemble. Right? From the time that they would have heard that they were coming till the time that they actually got there and surrounded Jerusalem would have been... It wouldn't have happened overnight. But it happened quickly enough that he says, if you see it happening, run for it. Like, don't even go back to take your coat. That's how. Why? Because you had to run for a long way to get out of Judea. Just think, think of why. If they were in that area and they were going to start to kill everybody, you had to run for a long way to get out of Judea. How big is Judea? I mean, Israel's not big, but it's miles. Yeah, it's not like you're running to, you know, the Goko. You're, you know, when if it said, get out of Baham, yeah. like on foot, <laughs> yeah, just by running, and Baham is geographically much smaller. It would be more like get out of, I don't know, my geography, Oxford County. How big is that? But you, you get the picture. It's you're gonna have to run. That's why it said pray. It doesn't happen in the winter, on the Sabbath day, because on the Sabbath day, you can only run so far, and then you got to stop. Or you're breaking the law. <laughs> so you could, you, you're still in danger and you still see Romans around. Yikes. You know. So that is uh, one shall be taken and another left is in reference to uh, that time. Not the rapture where one's grinding at a mill and oh, she's gone. She just talked to me about the Lord and, you know, all that kind of language. Uh, it's a nice story, but I don't believe it's the truth. And again, uh, all, you know, 
I just don't believe it's the truth. And um, so what signs are going to preclude the coming of Christ? I think that's a very relevant question. Most people are looking for this in Matthew 24, and I believe they're going to look a long time. But what are we looking for? There's another question. What are we looking for? The coming of Christ. I know what many people would say. That's a really relevant question that we're going to get into. So Matthew's the only one with a question, by the way. Just aside from these couple verses, verse 40 and 41, wouldn't 36 to the end of the chapter still apply to us today? Uh, but that day and hour, yes. Because this coming was very similar to his next coming. His, um, his next coming, he's going to come bodily to the earth. And I don't know how that's going to happen because he's going to destroy the earth. But it says he's going to come back in the same manner that he left, which would mean he's going to come back uh, visibly. Um, but his, this coming was sudden, swift, and total in its destruction, even though it was local. Right? Uh, it was the end for Judaism and for many Jews. Um, and his second coming is going to be sudden. It's going to come like a thief in the night, says in Second Peter. He's going to come unannounced because thieves don't knock on the front door and say, by the way, I wanted to rob your house and I was here just wondering if I could gain entrance and where are the keys to the vehicle they just don't do that, right? They, they come by stealth, and they come quickly, and they come unannounced. And that's the way uh, the second coming of Christ will be. And then it describes it there, and it's going to be the end. And that's why people would see uh, over there in Matthew 24 as being the end, even though it's, there seems to be still things happening after that. There would be no point in saying one shall be taken and another left if the whole earth was being burned up. Can, can I respond to a bit to Matthew then? Sure, yeah. Um, it has application today because the principles are the same. Even things in the law have application today, but we're not under the same covenant. Um, but right up until chapter 25, verse 30, the occasion of all of Christ's words are a response to the disciples' questions at the beginning of chapter 24. They may have application to us today, because the principle is the same. Mm -hmm. But he's speaking entirely in the context of their question about the destruction of the temple. And then in verse 31 he says, and while we're on the subject, this is what's going to happen at the end of days. And that's a parable as well, right? Um, he doesn't reference the earth being burned up and so on. It's, it's a day of judgment. But verse 31 
is introduced as a new subject. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him. Where are you, where are you referencing? Matthew 25, 31. Oh, 25, 31. Yeah, yeah man, 25, 31. Okay. That's not the same event as what's described in Matthew 24. But they're very similar, and this is what Sean is talking about. They're very similar in that it's the Lord coming in judgment. But Matthew 25, 31 is the final judgment. Matthew 24 is the judgment of Jerusalem. And the parables in Matthew 25, in the context of chapter 24, they're developed, but they have application in principle to us today. So, the virgins, right? The Christian that was living careless in Jerusalem at the time of the destruction of the temple was wiped out with the ungodly. Because they wouldn't have been they paying attention yeah. to the signs. Yeah. That's a sobering thought that you yeah. have people who have been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus who were destroyed with the ungodly because they were living careless lives. And they were put to death or crucified or what have you because they did not heed Christ's words. Only those that were walking faithfully, diligently with Christ recognized the sign and fled for their lives. I think Josephus says, at that time, many pious persons fled the city. Pious, not casual, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the concept of the wise virgins. While you're sorting yourself out, figuring, hey, what's going on? It's too late. They're all gone. You're still wondering what. And by the time you've figured out what's going on, it's too late to get out. And they were slaughtered with the, with the wicked. So that's something to take very seriously. Yeah. And notice this here in Matthew 24, verse 44. As this principle applies then and now. In such an hour as ye faithful Christians think not the Son of Man cometh. Which means even the most faithful Christian is going to be surprised. Which means you have to be always ready. Right? Yeah. The Christian who is walking close with the Lord is going to be thinking, now's not the time of Christ coming. That's when he's coming. That's what he said. Is that what it says in verse yeah. 24? It's in such a hour as ye think not the Son of Man coming. Never mind the world who's saying peace and safety and mm -hmm. sudden destruction coming up. Yeah. And so the takeaway for us is we don't get a single day to live carelessly and at ease and um, negligent of being spiritually diligent. It's very sober. Yeah, that's why Luke says, uh, take care that you're, if we look at Luke 21, why, uh, yeah, the second coming of Christ is as we've said, has bare similarity to his coming then, his coming in judgment. Um, in uh, Luke 21 and verse 34, take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts should be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and the cares of this life so that that day comes upon you unawares. Uh, surfeiting it's an old word basically banqueting 
is what it means. Uh, drunkenness, excess of alcohol. And then it says, and the cares of this life. And these are not sinful things. Now the, the surfeiting may be uh, excess um, drunkenness. But the cares of this life are just just that. Um, so that that day come upon you unawares. And in, over in, um, in Second Peter, he sums that up also in a different way. Um, verse 14 of chapter 3, he says, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, you look for Christ's coming, be diligent that you may be found in him in peace without spot and blameless. So, yeah, again, we can't just go on spiritual vacation, as it were. We're always going to be ready and we're always going to be watching. It's likened unto someone watching at night. Uh, that your house isn't broken into and all of those things. Very sobering because we live in the midst of a take-it-easy generation. And that whole spirit is continually pounding at your door and mine to, uh, I mean, as a greeting, people will say, take it easy. I mean, I've heard it. Even songs about it. Take it easy. It's just, and that isn't the uh, the voice of the Spirit of God. It doesn't mean that if you went out and you played soccer with your boys that you're somehow. It, it doesn't mean that, uh, or else you would never do anything. So, Honey, can you help me with the dishes? No, I'm praying. I don't know what you're doing, but I'm not doing no dishes. I'm not cooking any supper. I'm not doing nothing. I'm not even going to work. And the Bible does not say that. But we can be so taken up with the cares of this life that we neglect, and that's where I believe is the application. We neglect the things of God um, and the purpose of God in our lives. So we're always, yeah, we're always about his business, whatever that might be. If you're depends on what role you have. But we're never on vacation, as it were. We're never on uh, taking it easy. It doesn't mean you can't rest. Uh, although I do have on my phone, past 7.30, my alarm says, uh, as a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard turn in his bed. Just to remind myself, you're taking it easy. But sometimes you need to rest. And, uh, but, yeah, as a rule of life, I don't think taking it easy is the counsel of the Lord Jesus. Can you not watch with me for... He, he upbraided them for sleeping <laughs> when they should have been... Yeah, when they should have been praying. Yeah. And the only one doing well here is Martin. 
Not so good on the morning end. Yeah, not so good on the morning end, yeah. But you understand the principles. The principles is, is that we are always watching. We're always, yeah, thinking about and our lives are spinning around that hub, as it were. Not that we can't enjoy time with our families and even go away camping or whatever it might be. But when you're taken up with those things and that's all you're doing, that's a problem. Abe? Um, Abe's question is, could not uh, the luminaries being darkened uh, be referencing some physical manifestation, i.e. smoke and everything else? I think, yeah, if we go back to Joel... Joel uh, chapter 2 and verse uh, 30. Right after the pouring out of the Spirit, and this passage is actually quoted by Peter, um, because that definitely happened, verse 28, 29. And I'll show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. Um, I think Josephus describes the destruction of Jerusalem. He said it came in one um, butchered, bloody, and smoky end, I think is his description of the destruction of Jerusalem. One of the lines recorded, a butchered, bloody, and smoky end. Um, But I still believe that had um, the sun being darkened wasn't a... There's enough examples of that in the Old Testament where it was... uh, And if it was smoke... 
rising, and as I believe Joel's saying there, it was still local in its application. And it wouldn't have been, if you were standing even a couple of kilometers away, um, I mean, just think of how big the smoke cloud would have to be to literally block out the sun. I mean, you have to have like a, a volcano going on. Well, in that one we just read, and it says the the mountains shall be melted with their blood. Yeah. yeah. My mind went to the volcano, and then the smoke that would absolutely block out the sun. Yeah. Just yeah. Uh, well, question. certainly that can happen, but I um, I don't think that that's the main application. Uh, given all of the, if we could go through them again, I think everyone's like, please don't. Um, all the passages that talk about that is, uh, and this one here in Joel is referencing to the destruction of Israel and its blood and fire and pillars of smoke, because that's what happened in bringing down the sun, the moon, and the stars blood and fire and pillars of smoke and that happened and then the day of the Lord is still future when it's going to be one big glorious puff of smoke uh, not to be irreverent or any way but it's yeah may our hearts be taken up taken up with uh, as Paul said he was sorrowful yet always rejoicing always Carrying about in his body just a, a tremendous sorrow for the the, um, the plight of man. I think that's one of the ways we can be uh, not taken up with the cares and the pleasures and everything of this life. Is we're always being tempered by the fact that people are lost and they're going to a Christless eternity. And that tempers our enjoyment of this life if I could say that it's uh, sobering um, and you can still God has given us all things richly to enjoy but that can't be our life verse <laughs> for many people it's their life verse it's like yep he's given everything for me to enjoy and I'm going to enjoy it to the full and all these other pagans can go to hell like some of the crazy stuff that's yeah. all the health, wealth and everything else um, you just don't see that in the Paul was continually yeah, sorrowing over the, he said God is witness how much I sorrow in my heart for my people and that's what it should be for us we should have continual sorrow yet Always rejoicing. I don't know how else to... And I, I, personally, I don't sorrow enough for the lostness of men. Um, I can remember one brother. He was with the faith mission. 
and he had a burden for Chinese people. He said every time he saw a Chinese person, he had to just go away and weep. <laughs> and he wasn't putting it on. He just was. He'd be walking in a mall, and he would see a Chinese person. And he's in, uh, I think he was in British Columbia, so there was a lot of Chinese people. Uh, I think it doesn't mean that every single second of the day he was, but he was recounting his normal state of heart and looking at the lostness of men. And this should be our response to uh, the second coming of Christ, that we should be giving ourselves to prayer, to, um, what does it mean when it says to snatch someone from the burning? It means you're, you're being, yeah, you're putting your own self at risk and you're, you're being purposeful. And if you're not doing that, you're not doing the will of God. And somehow we all, as together as one man, are moving us in that direction. The women have a different role than the men, and the men have a different role than each. We talked about that last night. Everyone has a different role. Stephen and the, the others were waiting on tables, and the apostles were ministering the word in prayer there were just given to that and uh, I think we I don't do that pray enough and we all need to encourage one another to to uh, as we we have several exhortations but the flesh is always there saying take it easy isn't it like how many of us have that temptation yet like you wake up in the morning and Yeah, I confess that when my wife was away for three days, I think I slept in every day an extra 15 minutes. <laughs> every day. Uh, yeah, because as soon as you press that snooze, you're done. So, but when my wife is uh, home, the alarm goes off, and then if I, she doesn't want to hear it a second time, so I have to get out of bed, so I do. <laughs> And that's my that's my story anyway. So, because she'll be like, if the alarm's going off and I'm not getting up, it'll be up. Yeah, my wife, I can testify that I really, yeah, I am so quiet, so that I don't wake my wife up prematurely because she needs her sleep. And uh, so, yeah, I get up promptly. And I didn't have that excuse when she wasn't there. So I slept in for an extra 15 minutes, wasted 45 minutes where I could have been up. And, yep, that's how I look at it. But, again, it's not a guilt trip and everything else. That's, but we, yeah, this is all the application of the second coming of Christ. We need to be diligent. Wasting time yeah. and everything else. That's what we're making the most of your time because the days are evil. Is there? Did I answer your question, Dave, after all that rambling? <laughs> Was that the... Yeah, I believe I think I answered it really shortly. Yeah. The application is... is his coming in Matthew... 24 is similar to his coming 
And that's why the language is so, uh, so similar as the two events have striking similarities. I don't know when we started. And we started a, a little after 2.30. So is it 10 after 3? About 4. It's 4 after 4. Almost. Okay, that's it's 10 after 3. It's still on. Um, still on the old time, yeah. I was wondering. Oh, wow. It's only 10 after 3. We've been going, it seems like, forever, and it's only 45 minutes. That's probably why. If there's no other questions, yeah, yeah. Gonna there's no other questions. Close, sure. Yeah.